Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. taconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. I'm Ben Baldanza, joined as always by Chris Chimes. It was another busy week in the skies. We'll talk about that and also talk with our special guest, Felix Antelo, President and CEO of Viva Air from Colombia. But first, Chris, why don't you start us off with some news? Hey, our fans, and hey, Ben, uh, rather than calling it the news, I feel like calling it the olds right now. For those of us old enough to remember Pam Ewing's dream about Bobby on the old Dallas TV series, it kind of feels like we've woken up only to find we're back where we were. As we all know by now, the TSA has extended the onboard mask mandate in the U.S. until January. The FAA announced a slew of new fines against airline passengers for bad behavior. Some airlines, most notably American, have extended the ban on alcohol sales in the coach cabin. Airlines continue to struggle with staffing issues. Even the airline everyone loves to work for, Southwest, is having trouble finding qualified applicants and has initiated an employee referral bonus program. So, Ben, rank this past week on a scale of 1 to 10. Well, on that scale, Chris, I'd probably give it a three, maybe. Oof. I know that sounds tough, but in this demand environment, even a great week probably wouldn't get better than a six or seven. So, um, yeah. so that's the way I think of it. I'm not surprised at the extension of the mass mandate, but I'm disappointed that it had to happen. But I'm not surprised that it happened. All the language coming out of the federal government and the CDC and such was such that that was going to happen with the CDC recommending that we wear masks, even if we're vaccinated indoors now. It was almost hard for them not to do this. You probably also saw that Senator Ted Cruz and a, and a congressman have launched some legislation saying there should be no mandates for anything related to the pandemic. My guess is that's not going to pass. But the point is, there is going to be somewhat loud, probably though ineffective reaction to the extension, even though it probably makes sense. And I actually think, Chris, that going into a fall period where there's generally not a lot of vacation travel and the airlines really want more business travel coming back right now, at least until we get to the holiday periods. I actually think that the mask extension probably helps the industry in the following day. I think more people who are on the fence about flying or not might be comforted by the fact that there is the mask mandate than there are people who say, because of the mandate, I'm not going to fly. I think that first group is probably bigger than the second group. So going into a fall season where airlines are going to be struggling for traffic, it's probably good for their revenue that this did get extended. Yeah, I mean, we, as we've talked about before, we're not health experts, so we're not necessarily going to argue why people should wear masks. But certainly in the context of maintaining confidence in air travel, the mask rule, I think, does that a lot. 
Um, it certainly does it uh, for other sectors as well. So, you know, this is just going to continue. I think people have to just reset their patience clock, especially airline passengers. It's going to be like this for a while. And then here in North America, startups keep making the news, Ben. In the U.S., Avalo pulled down some additional routes, but then announced its service plans from New Haven, which will be an East Coast-focused city. Bree secured an additional round of funding to the tune of about $200 million. And then just to the north of us, Flair Airlines is starting to strut a bit out of Canada as it announced new routes for the fall, including some to the U.S., started some new routes and showed off new uniforms and a new celebrity spokesperson, a tennis star, Eugenie Bouchard. We've got Avalos CEO Andrew Levy booked as a guest in the coming weeks. So, Ben, I got another Rankum question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you like to be leading an airline startup about now? I would rate that a zero on a scale of one to 10. (laughs) I think it would be so hard to be launching an airline right now. And it'll be great to talk to Andrew about Avalo and how they're starting. I actually think their launch out of New Haven is really interesting. That's an airport that is located near a lot of people, especially right next to Yale University and people who fly in and out for that as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Their first routes are all to Florida, not surprising. But as they build that airport a little more, it'll be interesting to see what kind of services can be supported. We want to remind our listeners that Clear makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home-to-gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. And I wonder if Avalos service in New Haven as it builds will be enough for Clear to put a station there as well, since they're in all the other New York airports. <laughs> oh, there you go. There's a challenge for Clear. <laughs> That's right. And, and while we're at it, Seabury Capital Group is a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace, and defense and financial services and technologies. Seabury Capital Group's award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, and an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. Finally, Ben, and for all the geeks listening in, Airlines for America churns out lots of interesting data. Our friend John Heimlich, who joined us a few weeks ago, is the brains behind much of that analysis. They published an industry review and outlook dated August 19th as available at airlines.org. Tucked away is a stark explanation about why Scott Kirby and the United team are moving so decisively on upgrading their fleet with larger and new aircraft. United is the only major U.S. airline that is averaging less than 100 available seats per flight across its network, which includes regional partners. They averaged 99 seats per flight in 2000. 21. And they in Alaska are the only carriers offering fewer seats per flight in 2021 than they did in 2019. Ben, I don't know if you saw anything else that caught your eye in this report. Well, I did, Chris, and and the point you made is a great one. United has been struggling with smaller average gauge, meaning small fewer seats per departure for a long time. And I think when we talked about that um 
purchase, the 270 airplane purchase. We talked about that a bit. And the data in John Heimlich's report, again, everyone can get this at airlines.org. If you're geeky, you're going to want to see this. It really shows how stark that issue is for them. A couple things that I found from this report that I thought were interesting is that from 2005 to 2019, service to the smallest cities in the U.S. actually grew. That surprised me. I would have expected that with airlines getting bigger and bigger equipment on average and such, that maybe some of the smaller cities might have suffered somewhat. But service to small cities actually went up. And I bet some of that is also because of United deciding to rebuild, as Scott Kirby called it, some of their hubs and be more competitive from small cities to big cities by building up their hubs. Another point that I thought was really interesting is that the larger cities in the U.S., the relatively large share that low-cost carriers have now. Access to the biggest cities in the U.S. for airlines has been a challenge, and yet over the last number of years, low-cost airlines, thanks to slots going away at Newark and other things, have found ways to get into some of the big city, biggest cities, and this report shows that really well to the point where it makes a statement that 87% of everyone living in the 48 states has access to a low-cost carrier. And I think that's pretty cool, actually. It's great that that many people have choices and there aren't only 13% of the population lives in a place that they don't have good access to an LCC. And the last thing, Chris, that I thought was really interesting in the report was that customer satisfaction is reporting at an all-time high. I wondered what sort of the ending data point was on that, because I wonder if that sort of excludes all of the angry refund related stuff that's happened over the last year and a half as airlines canceled flights and such. But it does show that at least leading up to the pandemic, the industry was doing a better and better job having customers feel good about the product. Yeah, your point uh, about the small communities, I saw that as well. And I was thinking, of if you go back to the mid-2000, 2005, 6, 7, there were still a lot of good size but smaller communities being served by turboprops. And it really wasn't until 10, 12, 15 years ago that RJs were hitting more of those smaller markets and upgrading the gauge in that lift. Yeah, the RJs really did help with that, I think. And uh, yet that also, that comes with a low cost per trip, but a high cost per seat, which is why the airlines needed high fares out of those cities. And that's why that statement that 87% of people now have access to a low cost carrier is really quite impressive, even with the growth of the RJs. Yep. Well, take a look at this report. It's uh, downloadable for free. And uh, as you pointed out, Ben, the Av Geeks will uh, geek out over it. Our guest this week is a name that may not be familiar to some of our listeners, but it should be and it will be after this conversation. Yes, we're happy to welcome Felix Antelo to our show. Felix is the CEO of Viva Colombia, which is a low-cost airline that's been operating for a number of years in Colombia with services to nearby countries and maybe the U.S. at some point or soon. And so, Felix, welcome to our show. And why don't you tell our listeners about your background and your career in the industry and how you got to Viva? 
Hi, Ben, Chris. Uh, thanks for the introduction. It's, it's great to be here. I've been working uh, in the airline industry for more than 20 years, 20, 21 years and, and counting now. I'm uh, Argentinian. I've worked prior to Viva in many, many different roles in LAN Airlines, LATAM Airlines, all around South America mainly, in Argentina, Chile, Brazil, Ecuador, Peru was my last position in in LATAM as a CEO of of Peru before joining Viva in the year to 2018, beginning of 2018. Having ha stayed here for, or having been here in, in Viva for more than three years, obviously incredibly challenging years with different aspects of the business lately, as, as, as we know the, the pandemic, but, but Look, this is a, this is an amazing industry. Uh, I'm I'm glad that I've been been able to to be all around the the, the continent, the place. In, in I've worked in almost every single country in in Latin America, and now taking this challenge with with Viva, you know, trying to to, to grow and to uh, and to and to keep growing this amazing airline that, that is Viva, which is based here in in Colombia in Medellin. Actually, our head HQs in in Medellin, as opposed to most of the airlines in Colombia, which are in Bogota. But we are based here. We, we have a fleet of 20 aircraft, Airbus 320s, CEOs and NEOs. We operate in, in Colombia in three bases. As, as I was saying, Medellin is our HQ. We operate also in, from Bogota and Cali. And we also operate in, in Peru. We have a, a small base also there, Ben, in, in Peru, uh, in Lima. And actually, we do fly to the U.S. with a growing presence there. We have, depending on, on the month, between uh, two and three daily frequencies from Medellin to Miami. And we also started flying to Orlando two months ago, also from Medellin, uh, with uh, three frequencies per week. And also, obviously, very interested in, in seeing different opportunities in the U.S. As our fleet keep uh, growing and the, and the NEOs keep arriving, we are we we have uh, arriving from from next year from 2022 until uh, 2025 we have 35 more neos to come so re really in, in in a very good moment and 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 also understanding how the market will evolve in this post pandemic world so felix uh, we want to hear more about your growing service plans for the U.S., but um, a couple of the Latin carriers that you've been at, and you mentioned just then, yeah. have been going through some bankruptcy restructuring. And I'm wondering how that and their efforts to lower costs have impacted your own business plans and that competitive threat. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was, Chris, as, as you were saying, uh, our two biggest uh, full carriers here in the region, Latama and, and Avianca, went into entered chapter 11 in May of, of last year. Aeromexico did the same one month after that. It was not a surprise, to be honest. It was something we were anticipating. This will, will give them a, a lower cost base, for sure. We still need to see and understand how big a, a chunk of cost they, we, they will be able to, to get off their, their businesses. That's still to be seen, and, and I'm... And, and we, I, th I think we'll see that by the end of this year, beginning of next one. Our cost advantage uh, over them, Chris, is massive. When I say massive, is we're talking 
between 30 and 50 percent on, on, on a lower cask that, that Viva has uh, over them. And, um, and I might add, Chris, that I mean, we haven't stayed still, as you might imagine, uh, during this, this crisis. We did our own private restructuring, and that was a massive work that we started back in March when we saw that this, this was coming. And, and when I say that, we renegotiated more than 1,000 contracts from the, from the big guys, as, as, as you might imagine, the lessors to smaller vendors. But we, we did a, a massive private restructuring. So we also did lower our still, our, I would say, a, a very low cask. We, we still went after, uh, after cost reductions, and I, I think we did a, a, a pretty good Good job. That that's still ongoing. I mean, that that never never ends. I'm uh, I'm obsessed, absolutely obsessed with uh, with with cost, and and how we keep lowering our cost, and and how we we, we keep that advantage o- over you know in this case over uh, my my competitors in, in 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 the full service mode. So so that that cost advantage will will still be there. I'm I'm again. I think. We still need to, to see and understand how much they will reduce their cask. Uh, I can tell you that we have reduced our ca- cask further from what we were having uh, in, in a pre-pandemic world, around 10%. And that will that number will keep going down as, as our scale keeps growing. I, I was saying before, we will have 20 aircraft by the end of this year, 21 to be precise. Next year, we have eight aircraft coming in. And by 2025, we'll have more than 50 aircraft. And as you know, cask obviously reduces also with, with scale. So I'm, I'm really optimistic in, in that sense. And, and from the RAS side, I think that's something important to, to add, Ben and, 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 and Chris. I think it's important to add that, that these airlines that have gone into, into Chapter 11, they are seeing and they will see their RASC reduced in a, in, in, in a significant way. So, so that advantage that those airlines had previously over, over the LCCs or ULCCs in the case of Viva, that, that, that gap will reduce significantly as, as, as the chunk, as a part of, of the business traveler, you know, reduces. And we know that will be reduced. In my opinion, that traffic will be reduced in the future permanently by 25 to 40%, I don't know, whatever in that range. Uh, and that's a customer that we didn't have in the past, so, so we won't affect, be affected in that sense. So that's my view. I think uh, I, I think they, they, they are taking advantage of ch- Chapter Eleven, but we haven't stayed still, and, and we we still will have a, a very very important uh, cost advantage over them, and uh, and a risk that that it will be I think closer to closer to what they they have. That's a great story, Felix. And I can say from experience, having that obsession on cost is a good thing to have for an airline CEO. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've often thought that Colombia is a great place for a ULCC. It's a large country, a lot of big cities, mountainous, so road travel can be difficult, not a you know advanced rail system, things like that. But I'm sure you saw all that with Viva and the people who started Viva saw that. But what are some of the specific challenges of operating an airline in Colombia and the Andean region. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you're right, Ben. The, the geography plays, uh, you know, big uh, in our favor here. Uh, just to give the the, the the people in the show an, an example, the busiest route in Colombia, Bogotá, Medellín, it's a 28-minute flight. If you do 
that that uh, you know that uh, that segment by by bus or car you don't you you cannot do it by train there are no trains in colombia if you take a bus or drive that that flight or that segment if you want bogota medellin will take you whatever between eight and 12 hours just to give you know the uh, our our listeners uh, a flavor of, of, of how this country uh, is, is geographically. From, from the challenges, Ben, that you're asking, I think, I think we, we have quite a few. I'll, I'll start with, uh, I would say, the, the, the main one, uh, which is infrastructure. There are still many challenges in, in this uh, regard. We actually, right now, we are experiencing, even, even though we are, the industry is flying still less than pre-pandemic, not, not Viva's case, but as a, as a whole, as an industry, we are flying approximately 25 to 30 percent less when you when you add domestic and international flights. And even with that, every single day we have a, a air traffic you know delays in Bogota mainly, the main airport of, of Colombia, which which affects our flights. In our in Viva's case, between 20 and 30 percent of our flights are affected daily, you know, due to uh, air air traffic control and and um, and some of the problems they have. You have airports around around the country in Colombia, which m- many of them are not, you know, they cannot operate 24 hours per day. That's, again, another challenge from, an, from, from the infrastructure point of view. You have ta- high taxation on, on, on the airline business. Many countries in the region in South America still think that, that flying is a luxury, uh, believe it or not. And, and, and it's, it's, it's an, a very easy industry to tax and, and again, I have examples of this here in Colombia. Uh, d- during a couple of years, one of the taxes that was put into into domestic flights was, you know, uh, uh, one dollar per passenger to fund a railroad in in one of one of the regions in Colombia. Believe it or not. So, so uh, and, and and to be fair, in that regard, you know, after the pandemic, the government understood the the importance of the of the industry, and and there have been some some breaks on taxes, mainly on on VAT. This industry used to have a VAT of 18%, which is the normal VAT for every industry here in Colombia. And that has been reduced to 5% until the, the, uh, until the year 2022. So that helps. And, and, and I think that's, I mean, I want to be fair, you know, in the sense that the, we have challenges here, but, but the government has understood that, that this is a strategic industry, that this is an industry very much needed to reactivate the country you know, uh, the industry, uh, the economy uh, as, a ge- as, as, as a general. And, and, and they have taken, you know, I think many, many right, right actions, taxation being, being one of those. I've got a follow-up, Felix, to a challenge we've been talking about a lot on this show, which is the looming pilot shortage. How is that impacting your growth plan? Yeah, and, and I didn't mention that one, Chris, because really it's 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 not being a challenge, and I don't foresee it as necessary as a challenge in the future, except with the exception. And I was talking this just today in the morning to an, a colleague, to an airline colleague. My worry there, Chris, is that we could start to see some of the local pilots or the South American pilots start to emigrate to to the U.S., where where you do have a certainly a, a pilot. Shortage and that, and that will probably get worse over the next years. That would be you know a, a threat for us if 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 pilots from from Colombia in this case uh, and Peru start start to go and, and work in the U.S. We produce enough pilots 
in Colombia, you know, to, to stand up for our growth plan. So unless we see, uh, again, a massive migration from pilots to the U.S., I don't see that happening. It didn't happen in the past. I'm not saying it won't happen in the future. Colombian pilots, if they have a, a good, you know, opportunity here in Colombia with a, with a solid airline, they, they tend to prefer to stay in Colombia. But that's the, that's the state of, of that point here, Chris. We, we don't have a local pilot shortage, and, and, and we are not foreseeing that in the, in the future. Felix, you mentioned your service to Miami, and you also mentioned that you have an operation in Peru. How important is the United States as you think about your growth? And do you eventually see yourselves expanding the Viva brand beyond Colombia into other Latin markets as well? Absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 it's I would say, Ben, uh, really important. And when I say really important is that we are foreseeing and, and planning to fly to at least four to five cities over the next two years in, in the U.S. So we talked about Miami and, and Orlando. But with the NEOs uh, that we have coming in, arriving, um, we will be able to fly to in, in, the, in the North US to New York, we'll be able to fly to Atlanta, obviously to more cities in the, in the South. So uh, that, that will be a growing part of our business. Our challenge there, Ben, is how we sell and promote and, and, and get you know, the, the revenues in US dollars in the point of sale US. That's, that's our, our, our main challenge, I, I would say, you know, uh, growing and developing the, the, the US markets. Obviously, there's, there's a big traffic northbound coming from, from Colombia and, and Peru. But that's, that's an absolutely super important piece of our strategy, you know, having a, a bigger presence in the U.S., taking advantage of, of, of our NEOs. And if you want completing that, you know, that, that answer is how we are growing moving forward. We, have, we are based in Medellin. I was telling that, that to you before. And with the NEOs, with, with the A320 NEO, we are, we, we are able to fly from the north, even north in Toronto, in, in Canada, to the south of the continent in, in Argentina, in, to Buenos Aires. You, you will, we will be able to fly from Buenos Aires to Toronto with a one stop in Medellin, uh, offering you know, our, our customers a, a low cost, a ULCC uh, proposition that no one else can offer. You do have that service with an airline like Copa, for example, but Copa have anything but, but low prices. They, they have a great airline, but, but not low prices for certain. And we will be able you know, to, to offer that, that uh, product and service to customers from Chile, Argentina, Brazil, you know, going through managing and, and flying up to the north destinations, obviously including the Caribbean, but many, many of the cities in the, in the US. So that's something pretty unique that we are building. And to do that, you need, you need basically two, two things. One is geographical location, that we do have that. And the other is the plane. And we, we have both, and, and we are taking advantage of, of that. We'll be right back with our conversation with Felix Santello. But first, a quick break to remind our listeners that Travel Alliance and Hotel Connections have come together to become TA Connections. TA Connections provides an intelligent, integrated, flexible suite of applications that allow airlines to deploy an industry-leading mix of augmentation and automation tools, configurable and personalized to your unique needs. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company 
and the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. So Felix, you talked a little bit about serving the U.S., but tell us a little bit more about, you know, any kind of long-term plans without giving away your competitive secrets and and where you expect to grow within South America beyond Colombia. We have a second AOC right now in Peru, as we were talking before. We are seeing some other opportunities in, in the region, mainly in in South America, we've studied in, in detail Central America. The main issue or the main problem in Central America are basically, you know, airport costs and then to us and the cost of, of flying to many of or most of those airports is, is so high that, that, that it's really hard to offer a good, you know, ULCC proposition or really low prices to customers because most of that goes in, in, in to taxes. So, so Central America is a... Is a really hard you know to open up and start an, an attractive ulcc uh, value proposition in in south america we are um, we have studied the the bigger countries chile argentina brazil those um, i see difficult to be honest to start a business over there either because there's a very intense you know competitive scenario or also due to high taxation prices you know airport costs so, so, so that's I mean uh, I see those countries really not, not not happening in the in the short term we are seeing other countries in in South America uh, but Ecuador is, is one of those I've talked about this in the past and we still see Ecuador as a very attractive country to start a, a, an LCC for a couple of reasons one is because there is no LCC or ULCC in Ecuador Two, because the prices, you know, the average fares that, that Equatorians have to pay to, to travel by air are ridiculously high. Three, because it would, you know, fit perfectly well into our strategy. We now fly in Colombia and in Peru, and we kind of fly over Ecuador, uh, which doesn't make any sense also from a network perspective. So those are uh, many or some of the reasons that we, we see Ecuador as a, a, as a very attractive value proposition. And finally, you know, last but not least, is, is that Ecuador has entered into a new uh, political and, and economical phase, I think, which will bring uh, massive growth to the country as a whole and to the industry in particular with a, with, with a new uh, president coming in, which is really pro-business. Uh, which and, and, and where I think they will put a lot of, you know, stress into into growing their their airline industry. So so that's what we are seeing in the right now. Felix Sky Airline in Chile is a low cost carrier that at least w- at one point talked about trying to become a ULCC, but they recently signed an agreement with American Airlines, which struck some people as kind of strange. Do you see this kind of partnership in Viva's future? I do, Ben. I have to be very honest. I mean, when I, I've talked a little bit before uh, about what we are trying to build here in Medellin, you know, as a hub connecting the south uh, traffic with the, you know, with the north traffic. And some people tell me, look, that's not, that's not very, you know, uh, low cost. And, 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 and I think we need, we are at a point in the industry where we need to, you know, to challenge some of the, of, of the rules. I, I do think you will see and we will see more partnerships between LCCs or ULCCs and and, and legacy carriers. I, th- I think that's going to happen. Uh, it will depend, obviously, a lot on the approach on, of, of both airlines. But I think that, that what American has done with uh, Sky will, will I, I think it's, 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 I think, the starting point. American has, they have done that in the past with a 
carrier in Mexico, for example, as Interjet. That that didn't end up well because Interjet, as you know, went out of business. But but that's not something new. Uh, and I, and I think that if 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 you do it, you know, at, at the right moment with the right implementation and 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 especially at the right price, uh, is something that that's that's that we will see more in the future, especially in regions where you you do need that feeding, you know, and you do need that 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 extra traffic, you know, to keep growing. It's very likely that you know Ryanair won't need something like this in the future. But many of, of, of the of the airlines here in, in South America, I think I think that's that's something that we will see more and more. You, you you've seen what what has been announced uh, some weeks ago regarding uh, JetSmart and American Airlines. So that's something I, I definitely see happening more and more in the in the future. Yes. Felix, switching gears a bit to a topic we'd all prefer not to be talking about, but we all are. Can you tell us about the state of COVID in Colombia and also how you're operating and what special procedures are in place? Yeah, we are, uh, Chris, in, in, in a, I would say, I don't know if you can say in a good moment, everything regarding COVID, in my opinion, is, is something you know, which even if it improves, you can never say that it's good. But when you see the figures where we are right now, uh, Chris, we are in the lowest numbers of the pandemic uh, since last year, since mid last year. So, so it's it's really trending in the right direction. Vaccination has has gotten to a place here where, where we are vaccinating, you know, between 300 and 400k per day. Um, just to give you, you know, an example where we were at the beginning, Colombia was supplying around 10 to 20,000 vaccines per day. Now we are, you know, in some days we even get get to half a million. So, so, so that's good. We have 15 million persons with uh, both doses applied in a in a country which is a country of 50 million persons. So, 15, one five million. Uh, persons with both doses. Colombia has applied more than 35 million vaccines to, to its population, and, and we have the vaccines moving forward, you know, to get to get to that threshold of, of 70 to 75 percent of the population vaccinated. I think we will get there by, very likely, by the end of, of, of mid-November to, to the end of, of November. We are vaccinating in Colombia, you know, all ages, and that started to open up and again speeding up as as we went along. There are there is no, you know, no, not a lot of of hesitancy, you know, to the vaccine here, as opposed to what happens in some parts of the U.S. So I I, I would say, Chris, we are uh, trending in, in 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 the right direction, in in the very I would say right direction. This has helped, you know, uh, to put place Colombia uh, as one of the fastest recovering markets, air, air markets, air domestic markets in the world. Just to give you a, a, a number, we are, as Viva, operating 35 to 40 percent more seats now than, than pre-pandemic levels. Uh, and, and that's uh, due to, you know, to the confidence of the people, you know, traveling in, in, in the vaccines, in, in the air system, in Viva. So again, we are in the in the right direction. My my worry, if you want, is you know how Delta will will hit us here. We do have the Delta variant present in, in Colombia, but believe it or not, so far it hasn't you know gone up sig- significantly like happened in the in the in the U.S., U.K. or some parts of, of the world. 
that's that's still under control. Uh, but but that's a worry that I have. You know how Delta could hit us if if it comes here, if it you know uh, goes up significantly. But right now we are in a, in a in a very good moment. You know regarding again vaccination and and the trend is as good as it it, it could be. Well, Felix, this has been great and good news on Colombia in terms of its reaction to this terrible pandemic, too. As we wrap this up, why don't you uh, tell our listeners what keeps you up at night and what gets you excited to come to work each day? Look, to come to come to work each day, I, this is a, this is an industry. I, I mean, I I'm absolutely in love with, even though it's been twenty one years. <laughs> And, and many countries and many challenges from from 9/11 to the pandemic to to, to COVID. I mean, I've I've been through all of, of those and 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 I think that that you know how we've been able as an industry to recover from every single challenge that we've faced in the in the past and how we emerge of those stronger. It's something you know that makes makes me proud. This is an an, an industry I've always loved from the point of view of how. We help, you know, people, you know, fulfill their dreams. Call it a a, a trip for vacation, a, a person flying to to close a business, or or, or flying, you know, a, a grandmother or, or a kid to to meet their their, their families. The, you know, we work, you know, for something that makes, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, the world a, a better place. And, and and working in an industry. As gratifying, challenging uh, as as this, I, I don't think there's an, a, another industry in the world as complex and difficult than this one. That that also you know gives me a, a an intellectual challenge every day. That that we know this is not certainly not the most profitable <laughs> industry in the world, but but in my opinion, it is the most rewarding you know uh, industry, and, and 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 no one can take it away. And that's why I'm so you know happy to and, and excited to come to work for Viva every single day. In terms of, of, of challenges, what, what keeps me up, up at night right now is, you know, getting through this pandemic, starting to get out of this, starting to get, you know, to see the, 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 the light at, at the end of the tunnel. We are seeing it certainly here in Colombia, certainly with Viva, with, with the figures I was telling you before. I don't want to be overconfident. You know, we, we thought the worst of this was behind us here in Colombia in March where we were seeing amazing numbers and trends and then we got hit by the by the third wave uh, I don't want that to happen again and, and, and again not get overconfident so so I'm worried about you know the Delta variant and how that could impact you know our markets here in South America and that I would say you know it's 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 my my biggest worry I'm I'm, I'm trust 110 percent my in my team what we have built here the opportunities we have, you know, in front of us. So, so I, I would say, I would say that Ben. And again, I'm, I'm again super bullish about the the future of the industry, the future of Viva, in particular, the industry in general. I, th- I think we will emerge from this stronger. Uh, and I'm really optimistic of what's what's for us, what's what's in there for us, you know, from 2022 onwards. We will get past this pandemic as we have done in the in in the past with other crises. And, and I think people will, will, will fly more than ever in the, in the future. Well, Felix, I want to echo Ben's uh, appreciation for you joining us and sharing your wisdom with us. I just have one final question since uh, you've lived in multiple places across South America. Who's your team in Copa America? My team is, is, is the one and only, Chris, and, and, and the best team in, in the region by far, River Plate from Argentina. 
Buenos Aires. I'm Argentina, so I used to go you know, to the stadium every single week. My wife is from Boca Juniors, you know, the, our, our big rival. But uh, River, River Plate, hands down, Chris. Hope, hope you're a River Plate fan too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, we'll let you go. But uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Ben. Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks, oh. Felix. And I hope everyone decides to try Viva when they get the chance. Please, please go, go, go there. Viva.com. And we'll, we'll greet you with, with our Colombian flavor. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential in a minute. The Airlines Confidential podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. And that was a great conversation with Felix. Really interesting how he's been able to turn that company into such a growth vehicle in a place not everybody thinks about all the time. Let's turn the show over to our listeners as we take your questions and comments. Remember, you can leave a question on our voicemail at 202-964-0177. Or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential podcast. Ben, our first question is from Andrew in Dallas. Gentlemen, being such a valuable brain trust for all things airlines and aviation, I wonder if you can shed any light on something that happened on a recent flight, which has me scratching my head. I was flying with my family on American from Denver to Los Angeles. Due to an issue with my wife's ID not matching the ticket, she was not allowed through the TSA checkpoint, and she did not have time to correct the issue to make the flight. She was forced to arrange a later flight. I advised the American Gate agent when I was boarding that my wife was not going to be boarding, but she had checked a bag in her name, and I needed to know if my wife would need to collect this from baggage claim and recheck it on her later flight. I was told by the gate agent that, quote, we no longer remove bags for non-flying passengers, so her bag will travel. And sure enough, the suitcase checked in my wife's name arrived in Los Angeles with the rest of our luggage. I was not aware that airlines no longer remove bags when a passenger does not travel. I understood this was a non-negotiable security requirement. In fact, I believe you even mentioned this on a show a few weeks ago. Any thoughts on what happened? Well, Chris, I appreciate Andrew's question. And Andrew, I think the answer is that the agent who told you we no longer remove bags for non-flying passengers gave you a only partially correct answer. What she should have said is we no longer remove bags for all non-flying passengers. Let me explain. As you probably know, and a lot of our listeners know, Passengers have a record in the reservation system called the PNR, the passenger name record. If you're traveling with other people 
or traveling as a family, often multiple people are on the same PNR. Certainly a husband and wife who booked it together would be on the same PNR. What the security rule says is if everyone from the PNR is not boarding the flight, the bags must be removed. But if there are adults on the PNR that are still traveling, the bags of all the people originally on the PNR can go. And that's what happened in this case. He and his wife checked bags. He still went. So her bag was able to travel with him. If he had decided not to go because his wife couldn't go, then both of their bags would have had to be removed. That's the issue here. So for security reasons, there can't be a bag in the belly of the airplane that isn't owned by anyone on board the airplane. But as long as somebody from that PNR, an adult, is associated with that bag, it can stay on the plane. Chris, this next question is from Mike, also in Dallas. Why do you think airline management and unions, for that matter, are so secretive about the number of pilots and flight attendants who have been hospitalized by or have passed away from COVID-19? I think there would be more disciplined use of masks and probably more willingness to be vaccinated if crews could put numbers, names, and faces with those who have been harmed by the pandemic. As it is right now, there seems to be an attitude among crews that, well, it hasn't happened to me or anyone I know, so it must not be real. Um, Mike, thanks for the question. I don't think there's anything secret about anything within an airline, and so my guess is if if a crew member has died of COVID, most of his or her colleagues, especially at that base, will have heard about it. And I saw just recently, I think this past week, Alaska Airlines had confirmed that they've had three employees, unfortunately, pass of COVID since early this summer. So I don't think it's a secret, but I also don't think it's necessarily an obligation or appropriate to make regular announcements like a tote board. Um, there's also, you know, privacy issues with regard to, you know, if somebody's called off sick or is in the hospital for a COVID-related incident, is it the airline's role or the union's role to publicize that? It certainly is responsible if, if a member of a cockpit crew is a later diagnosed with COVID that his or her flying mates are informed and there's some level of contact tracing. So if you've worked with somebody who is positive with COVID, that you're alerted and tested and advised to take precautions. But I, I'm not sure that's the airline or the union's role to kind of make a daily or weekly pronouncement of these cases. You know, Ben, having run an airline, I don't know if you feel differently. No, I think you answered it right, Chris. It's a fine line in terms of what to sort of put out publicly when it comes to people's health. I will point out that a number of airlines in their earnings calls have begun the calls with a almost a reading of the names of people from that company who have passed away due to COVID. And they, they'll say things like, we want to remember our colleagues who unfortunately we've lost due to COVID and they'll, and they'll list, you know, six or seven names or something. I've heard airlines do that on earnings calls for the last year. So I don't think the secretive word really applies here. And then Benjamin, a friendly rap on the knuckles from Marty in Amsterdam. 
Guy is a big fan of your show. A few weeks ago, you alluded to the possibility of adding a book list to the website, and I really like the idea. Any idea when you might get around to it? Would love to do some geeky summer reading. Thanks in advance. Well, thanks, Marty. That's great that you reminded me of this. And we absolutely will do this. And we'll put the first list on the website in the next week or two. We'll start it with some books that I know, some books that Chris knows. And certainly as this builds, if listeners have books about airlines that they want on that list that they think others would like, we'll certainly consider it. We're not going to become Oprah's book club here. But if they're about airlines, fiction or nonfiction, we'll absolutely put them up there. Thanks a lot, Marty. Chris, finally, one last question from Joe in Tampa. He's referring to an issue in the news related to the evacuation of Afghanistan. I was reading an article about the Civil Air Reserve Fleet. How can the Biden administration marshal aircraft from private companies? Thanks, Joe. For everyone who's not familiar, we're talking about CRAF uh, as the program. And as we're recording this part of the show, President Biden confirmed or the Biden administration confirmed that they were going to activate CRAF. So if you're not familiar with the program, U.S. airlines enroll in this DOD program and agree to provide aircraft on an as-needed basis to support airlift for various DOD purposes. So back in during the Gulf War, there were a lot of airlines uh, providing lift to soldiers getting to the Middle East. Uh, in, in this case, the president has the ability to invoke the craft program. This is kind of like the aviation equivalent of the Defense Production Act, where there are powers bestowed on the administration to ask private enterprise to assist the government. So in this case, airlines voluntarily enroll. They agree to provide aircraft as needed. And by doing that and participating in the program, they're allowed to bid on Defense Department airlift requirements, whether it be passenger or cargo. And much of that is lucrative, especially when you've got extra aircraft and you try to put them to work to be able to bid on uh, DOD contracts is a benefit. In this case, in particular, as of Sunday, the Pentagon had requested six airlines to provide aircraft for uh, up to a couple of weeks. And so American... Atlas, Delta, Hawaiian, United, and then Omni Air International are all providing aircraft to start with. That's a great background on the CRAFT program, Chris. I'll correct, of course. I'll add that to be part of CRAFT, airlines have to go through a special DOD audit as well, an additional audit beyond what the FAA normally does. So the point is people don't just accidentally wake up one day and find out they're in CRAFT, right? They have to make a real conscious decision that we want to be in this program and we want to be able to bid for our planes to be used for the these kind of movements. And like you said, more often than not, they get paid very well to do that flying. Well, we'll be right back with Finer Wine, but not before we thank Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation with up to 20% lower fuel burn, 50% fewer regulated emissions, and 75% smaller noise footprint. GTF engines have no comparison. This revolutionary geared turbofan engine is allowing airlines and airports to open new routes and fly more people farther with less fuel and much lower noise. Learn more at pwgtf.com. Chris, this finer wine is from Stockton in Woodcross, Utah. He's unhappy with Alaska Airlines. A sad day for me. 
I've been an Alaska Flyer for years now and have always loved it. Today, I don't think I can ever go back. Today, I had one of the most horrendous flights I've ever experienced. Halfway through my flight from Honolulu to LA, the flight attendant approached me as my mask was down after I had just finished eating some snacks. She was like a hawk from her nest and almost in a command said, put your mask on. Not a please, hey, sir, you're a valued customer and you help pay my bills, but we have to abide by the law. Can you please put your mask on? Later, another flight attendant reached across me to wake up the 70-year-old man next to me to tell him to put his mask up. The two flight attendants were a reflection of the disregard management has for putting the customer first. They've lost some longtime Alaska customers because of that negligence. Chris, is this a fine or a wine? Mm, Stockton, I'm going to put you in the in the winer category here. I don't think any flight attendant signed up to be the mask police. That's what they've become. And so sometimes they might be a little short, but they're also probably tired of having to remind people of something that they've been told over and over again, not just on aircraft, but also in society to please wear a mask. And it's very clearly a reminder during the boarding process, the captain, every flight I've been on, the captain, as long as, as well as the flight attendant crew make reminders. So you got to just put on your mask and be compliant. And I think we'll all get there a lot happier. But uh, at this point in time, I'm sorry, this is a wine. So Ben, as we prepare for final approach, it's time for shout outs. I want to give my shout out to the largest airline in the African continent, Ethiopian Airlines. They have weathered the last 18 months with no layoffs, no financial losses, no government aid through some very smart decisions and strong leadership. It has maintained a presence in all of its markets, albeit with less frequency, but most notably, it converted many of its wide-body fleet to cargo operations and also leaned heavily on cargo to fill aircraft still flying passengers. It was a major player in the transport of much-needed personal protective equipment, PPE, in many of its markets, including the 50 nations it serves in Africa. And so kudos to Ethiopian as they continue to power through this situation. Great shout out to a great airline, Chris. My shout out goes to an airline in the U.S., United Airlines, who has shown amazing flexibility in one day ordering electric airplanes, another day ordering supersonic airplanes, and then on another day feeling that it was so important to send out a message reminding their flight attendants not to duct tape passengers to seats. <laughs> <laughs> and it just was amazing to me that a company can fly so high, they can fly so high, can also fly so low. Got to pay attention to the details there. With that, we're going to shut this down. Thanks again to Felix Santello for joining us and to you for listening. Thanks for tuning in and have a good week ahead. Safe flying all. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.